If you will, uh, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. Luke 18 will be in uh, verses 1 through 18 this morning, or verses 1 through 8 this morning. I want to encourage you to have God's Word opened, um, and for that, uh, I think the congregation has uh, provided Bibles in front of you, below the seats in front of you. Uh, You'll find Luke 18 on page 877 of those Bibles. Um, I, again, want to thank uh, Jeff and, and Tony and Art and Josh and their other elders. Thank you uh, for having me uh, this morning. It's a great privilege to be here. Uh, to preach God's Word anywhere is a great privilege, but to preach God, uh, God's Word here at Rocky Point is a, is a special privilege. Uh, there are a handful of churches that uh, we at Redeemer Church and I as a pastor regularly pray for, this is one of them. I've been praying for this congregation for six years. Uh, I knew Edward, I pastored with him in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, before each of us were called uh, to uh, him here, and then me and Graham. And so I've been praying for you ever since then, and uh, prayed for Jeff to come, prayed for Alan to land here. Uh, and Alan is um, actually preaching for me and, and enabling me uh, to, to be here with you uh, this morning. Uh, so really grateful to be here and trust that the Lord will use his word to build up this church in this really unique time as you seek a pastor. But if he's going to do that, uh, we need his help. And so let's go to him and ask him for that help in prayer. Oh God, we do come to you and we express that we are totally dependent upon you. There's nothing good that we can have in our life. There's nothing that we can do for you, including believe in you, apart from your gracious gift. And so we come to you now and ask that you would be with us in your word. Holy Spirit, we're praying that you would fall upon us and cause us to believe, cause us to believe that you exist and that you are the rewarder of those who seek you. So we seek you now in your word and we pray that you would build us up by revealing God, your son. And we ask this in his name. Amen. If you will, uh, please stand with me. Um, I don't know if y'all normally do that at this church. I could have asked that before, but I didn't. So if you would stand uh, with me, this is one way that we can honor what we're doing as unique from anywhere else in the world that is not gathering to worship the one true God. We are hearing from heaven in Luke chapter 18. This is God's word for us in particular this morning. Luke 18 verse 1. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear 
what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to His elect who cry to Him day and night? Will He delay long over them? I tell you, He will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on earth? You may be seated. This passage comes to us in the midst of the Gospel of Luke where Jesus is teaching His disciples what, how they should live, what lives in light of His return, His, his coming back, uh, the way that they should live since He will leave them but then be coming back in judgment. And he, in this passage, He's teaching us something very important. If you're going to live in light of eternity, your prayers will prove it. If you are someone separated from everyone else in the world who doesn't know the Lord Jesus, then as you near eternity, whether you live for this life or the next will be proven in your prayers. The sermon in one sentence is this, the Lord loves to answer whoever loves to ask. That is the sermon in one sentence. I'll give you more than one sentence. Some of you may be happy for me to stop at this point, but uh, I think Luke 18, 1 through 8, teaches this truth that the Lord loves to answer whoever loves to ask. If you're going to understand how important prayer is, if you this morning are going to seriously evaluate your life of prayer, You need to understand a few things from the Lord Jesus' perspective of prayer. And the first thing is that the Lord loves to be trusted. The Lord loves to be trusted. There are a few parables uh, that tell us so very clearly right away what they are about. Some of them are very difficult to understand. This is not one of those difficult parables. In verse 1, Jesus teaches us what... Uh, effect this parable should have on those who hear it, it is to teach us and encourage us to pray always and to never lose heart in our praying. And then at the end of the passage, verse 8, Jesus is equating finding faith on earth with finding prayers on earth. This is what I want you to see. The point of this parable is to encourage us to always have hearts in prayer, to always be praying. And at the end of the passage, he says that he's going to find faith on earth whenever he finds people praying. What this is telling you from the Lord Jesus about your prayer life is if you are a man of faith, if you are a woman of faith, then you must be a man of prayer. And a woman of prayer, your prayers will prove your faith better than your words will. And to teach us that lesson, Jesus puts before us a man, in verse 2, who we cannot trust. He neither fears God, this judge, nor he does he respect man. He's so wicked that he admits this 
without any remorse in verse 4. He says, no, that's, you don't have a bad opinion of me, Lord Jesus. This is who I really am. I don't care. I don't care that I'm going to answer to God. I could not care any less than I do already that this woman has no one, this widow has no one to stand up for her. She's been victimized. She's coming to me. I don't care. Jesus wants us to have pity for that widow in verse 6. Hear what the unrighteous judge says. He does not commend this attitude in any way. He doesn't want us to think that she's in good hands. She has to entrust her cares to a man who does not, who cannot be trusted. And the point of pointing out this kind of judge is in verse 7. He wants us to compare who we're actually appealing to. In other words, when you go to God in prayer, when you think about your prayer life, verse 7 says, you're not trusting an unrighteous man. He's making this point about how trustworthy God is in comparison to the unrighteous judge. He is so trustworthy. You need to understand how trustworthy the Lord is. Just like we sang earlier about His steadfast love. He is a refuge to us because of what His character is. He's so different than this wicked judge. The Lord loves to be trusted because He is nothing like this judge. And brothers and sisters, you need to hear that like I need to hear that. One of the reasons we struggle to pray is because we think of God like the unrighteous judge. That he does not care and he cannot be trusted. But Jesus wants us to know that the father is so much greater than the most honest, the most fair person you have ever known. He is gracious. He is slow to anger. He is rich in love. His love, we just sang, is steadfast. He says that his steadfast, the the love that stays with us and is set upon us, it stays with us and endures upon us forever and ever and ever. And yet prayer is one of those things that most Christians are most embarrassed about. And that, I'll I'll tell you, as you pray for a pastor, as you pray for your current pastors and elders, we are not immune to this weakness. I recall very distinctly in the midst of difficult years of ministry, having all kinds of things that I needed to do. And rather than growing in prayer, like Tony encouraged pastors to to be about that from Acts chapter 6, rather than growing in prayer, I fell back on skills that I had learned and just tried to handle the difficulties of the tasks in front of me. And I'm guessing you struggle at times, with the same thing. Prayer is so hard for us. And we need to be reminded what the Lord Jesus is saying, that prayer actually proves 
whether we trust the Lord or not. Doesn't this just make sense? That when you spend time in prayer, it's a confession that you cannot handle certain things in your life. It's a confession that someone else is actually able to do it, and you are expressing a trust that he will do it, and yet you and I struggle with it so greatly. Why is that? Because you and I were born full of self-confidence. You and I were born already with habits of confiding in and relying upon ourselves. We, our lives are just records of self-dependence, of figuring out as good Americans and good Texans, by golly, we will get this done. I know what I have to do. I've got to do this for my family. I've got to do this for the Lord. Whatever it is, I can do it. He's given me all I need. I don't have to turn to Him any longer. Listen, this is the very definition of being lost. What I want you to see is prayerlessness. And what that proves is the very definition of being lost. Because when Adam and Eve sinned and thrust the whole world into self-dependence, what they were doing was saying, I don't trust God's character anymore. He's withholding from me. I will reach out and take it for myself. I can do it. The very definition of being separated from God is we depend upon ourselves and we doubt the Lord's goodness. You need to see how central prayer is to trust and prayerlessness proves that we live like we don't need the Lord or we can't trust him. We are acting like he is this unrighteous judge. And yet in verse eight, Jesus says, when the son of God returns to earth. To judge the world. I'm going to be looking for faith, he says. And he tells us that all who love him Trust him in prayer. And we do that, first of all, because he loves to be trusted. He loves to be trusted. The Lord loves to be trusted. It's the very thing that we did not do when we fell into sin. This is the very thing we do not do whenever we sin. We don't trust that his ways are better. Knowing the Lord. Knowing who he is, is to know that he is trustworthy. And so Jesus goes on after this to rescue people from relying upon themselves and from suspecting God as not being a loving God. And in order to turn back people to himself, because he is good, the Lord Jesus wanted to be trusted, wanted his father to be trusted. It is so precious to the Lord that he be trusted by his people, that God himself took on flesh to die on the cross, to demonstrate the, the greatest example. This is love. When God becomes man and then dies in the place of man to bring us to God. And he demonstrates to us not only his character of love, but he buys our trust. 
He does something with his blood. It's so powerful. It actually breaks the spell of suspicion upon him. And he it cures us so that we see him as glorious and worthy and honorable. This is our God and we can trust him. He is worthy of all blessing, honor, and glory. The first thing you need to know about the Lord is he deserves your trust. And he sent his son to die and buy your trust. So if you're someone here who has gone about your life depending upon yourself, you need to know that this same God is coming back to judge sinners. But he is also the only one who can rescue you. And Jesus shed his blood to save sinners. So will you turn to him and trust him? The Lord loves to be trusted. But secondly, the Lord also loves to be asked. And these points are connected to one another. The Lord loves to be trusted. And if you know him, you need to know that about him. And because he loves to be trusted, he loves to be asked. I'm a I'm a fiction reader. I love uh, books like C.S. Lewis's stories uh, from the Chronicles of, of Narnia. One of my favorite moments in uh, those stories uh, taught me something very significant about the Lord and about prayer. If you know that story, uh, the Christ figure in Narnia is, is a lion named Aslan. And in one of the books, Aslan sends this boy and girl on this quest and when they're going on their quest for Aslan, they get really hungry. And the boy uh, says, well, I, I do think someone could have arranged our meals for us. We've gone on this quest for Aslan. It would have been nice if he would have arranged our meals for us. And then there's this flying horse that's with them. Um, and he says, well, I'm sure Aslan would have arranged your meals for you. Um, if you would have asked him. And then the girl speaks up and says, would he, would he not know that we needed to eat without being asked? And then the horse, who has a mouth full of grass, as he's eating, says, I have no doubt that Aslan would know that you needed food if you didn't ask him but I sort of have an idea that he likes to be asked. Did you see how this judge in verse 4 and 5 hates to be asked? He doesn't want to be beat down anymore by her constant, bothersome asking because, Jesus says, he does not respect man and therefore does not care if the widow thinks he is trustworthy. He hates to be asked because he doesn't respect the woman and because he hates her, he doesn't care whether she thinks he is trustworthy 
with the things she's asking. She, he hates to be asked. I wonder, beloved, how it might affect your prayers that God, I think Jesus is saying this, respects you. He regards what you think about him on this point. He, he respects and is concerned that you think of him differently than this unrighteous judge. He is concerned to be known, and he wants, therefore, for you to know the truth about him. He respects you, and he, he's concerned whether you think he is good or not, and, and whether he is so good that he can be trusted with your most desperate ask. Jesus is teaching us that God is so concerned whether you think he is good enough to be trusted with desperate prayer. A very common confusion about prayer. Why do we have to ask Him? He knows everything. He sees everything. Why does the Lord need to be asked? Why, does he, why are we even saying that the Lord loves to be asked? It's not because He doesn't know. He knows. He loves to be asked because he loves to be trusted. He loves to be asked because he loves to be trusted. And asking proves trusting. Will you do this, Lord? I'm trusting you. I'm asking you and you alone. And I'm going to keep asking you because you're the only one who can answer. I'm going to trust you. And because he so loves to be trusted, he loves to be asked. Asking in verse one is the proof of trusting in verse 8. You see how verse 8 is fitting to the rest of the context of what he's just said in this parable. It doesn't just come out of nowhere. Will the Son of God, whenever he returns as a judge, will he find faith anywhere? What he's asking is, will I find people who are asking? Prayer is the fruit that springs from the root of trust. What? The Lord wants above all else is his own glory such that he says, I will not give my glory with anyone else. I will not share it with anyone. Therefore, what he wants from us is to trust him as glorious. What we're just saying, you alone are worthy. You alone are holy. You alone are worthy of my trust. That glorifies him as the only one who is self-sufficient and generous. He needs nothing. He needs no one. So everyone should look to him for everything. The Lord loves to be trusted with your soul. That's what he wants. He wants you counting on nothing except for him. Not your baptism, not your prayer for salvation, not what you did at beach retreat, not anything for your soul, but Him. Lord, we are trusting You for our souls. He loves to be trusted with your sin. He doesn't want you to actually just get better or try harder. He wants you to get to the end of yourself, to look to Him and say, You alone can forgive me. You alone can cleanse me of unrighteousness. You can take the power of this temptation that is so besetting upon me. You can rescue me. Lord, would You do it? He alone is worthy of trust for your circumstances. 
He is bringing things into your life and mine that that proves that we cannot do it. We cannot control our lives. And because he loves to be trusted with those things, he loves for you to ask him for your soul. Ask him for your sin and ask him for your circumstances because an asking heart is a trusting heart. The Lord loves to answer those who love to ask him. This parable of comparing the unrighteous judge with God has the point. It says in verse 1 of teaching us that we ought always to pray and not lose heart. If we will believe that the Lord loves to be trusted and therefore he loves to be asked, let me give you point number three, which is that we should, if we believe Jesus, devote our lives such that we are characterized by trusting the Lord, by asking the Lord. Trust and ask the Lord. Demonstrate your trust through your prayers. The end of all things is at hand. Jesus is going to be back really soon. And therefore, Jesus says, you should pray always and not lose heart. I want you to hear the question at the end of verse 8. And let it fall upon you the way it was supposed to fall upon the original disciples whenever Jesus spoke it to them. Will I find you with faith? Will Jesus find you saved? Will he find you saved from relying upon yourself? Will he find you saved from doubting his character? And that He cares about you. That He is able and willing to provide for you. Will He find you, when He returns, praying? Are you a man of prayer? Are you a woman of prayer? A boy of prayer? A girl of prayer? Jesus says elsewhere, whatever is in your heart is going to come out of your heart. And if trust is actually in your heart, Prayers will come out of your heart. So let me encourage us with three applications from this parable of a prayer life that proves salvation. First of all, understand this, that asking trains you to trust. Asking actually trains you to trust. Praying will actually build faith for you. There are some lessons that God only teaches His children in the lab. There are some lessons that you have to close the book 
and step into the lab and basically show that you believe the book. You remember in biology or chemistry, you sat and were lectured from the book about this is, this is what you should believe, and then you moved over to the laboratory, and there your theories were put to the test. Prayer is the laboratory where your book knowledge becomes experiential knowledge, where you get beyond just your words to people about how you don't trust yourselves anymore, you trust Jesus. Prayer is the lab where you demonstrate that you trust, what do we call Him, the living God. He's alive. He actually is listening to us. He's actually speaking to us. He's actually able to do what we need Him to do. Prayer is that place where you get beyond your conversations with people and you say, God, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, do it. I want to see you do it. I want the glory of the Lord Jesus in my life. Take away my sin. Make me just like Jesus in prayer, not in your conversations. The measure of our trust in the Lord is displayed in our prayer life. And in the laboratory of prayer, our trust grows. This is why asking trains us to trust. Because when we ask Him, we then watch Him. And if you will ask Him for anything in Jesus' name, He says it will be yours. And so when you ask Him for things, you can then watch Him provide. Watch His care for you. You experience this steadfast love enduring for you when you prove He is the living God. I'm not alone. I'm not making this up. I'm not fooling myself. Look at Him answer. When I was in that season, as a pastor five years into my ministry, I had a sense that whatever it meant to be working in the flesh, I was doing it. I knew the phrase, but I had a sense that I was just going through the motions. I was just doing these things. I was praying, but I wasn't engaged with the living God. And so pastors of my church gave me a sabbatical, and I knew that this, was, this is why the Lord was especially giving a sabbatical, to rest. It had been a difficult season to rest and rejuvenate with my family, but this was the thing I was asking Him to do. Make me a man of prayer, not just a man who prays. And getting in the habit of praying with faith and then especially letting that train me to trust by praying and then looking for answers. That builds my faith in the living God more than anything else in my life. This is why people prayer journal. This is why they write down the the things they've asked for so they can go back and look at it and be reminded, look how he has moved. Answers to prayer build our trust and answers to prayer confirm that the Lord loves us. 
And he loves to get us to the end of ourselves, to the end of our smarts, to the end of our resources, that he loves for us to cry out to the one who has all that we need and then, and then to wait upon him with faith that he's going to answer us. You will never experience growth in trusting the Lord if you're not a prayer. Because this is what he's ordained for you to grow in trusting him. You'll never grow in your experience of the Lord's care for you unless you are a prayer. Asking trains us to trust, but secondly, you should trust the Lord by asking, and I want to use a word from Luke 18, always, always, verse 1, trust the Lord by asking always. And what I'm trying to get at is that persistence in prayer proves genuine trust. Persistence in Not stopping, but continuing to trust Him to the point of continuing to ask Him to move. Proves our trust in the Lord. I want to commend to you a little little project, a little research project that I've devised for Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, And as I lay this out for you, I want you to know, I don't mean this to be rude, this is research, we're doing this for research purposes, but I commend you uh, to next time the Jehovah's Witnesses are knocking on your door to save your soul, I want to encourage you just for research purposes only, uh, to have no intention of opening the door, but to talk to them through the house so that they think you're going to open the door. What I want you to do is I want you to test how committed they are to your souls and so they come knock 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 and you rush to the door and say just one minute i'll be changing a diaper be right there knock 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 a few minutes later get i'm finishing supper just give me a second knock 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 just clipping my nails almost done this is just one last one it's kind of kind of difficult I want you to see if they really trust the Lord and love you. And the test for that is how long will they wait? How long do you wait? How long do you wait in prayer? How long do you wait? For your role as a husband or a wife. How long do you wait upon the Lord to give you patience as a father or a mother? How long do you wait upon the Lord to give you honor as a son or a daughter for your parents? How long do you wait upon the Lord for your gospel ministry to make an eternal difference with your co-workers? With the other members of Rocky Point? How long do you wait for your longings to see your loved ones saved, for Christ's kingdom to advance through your church? How long will you wait for a pastor who will preach with earth-shaking power and who will guard your soul from Satan himself? Listen to me, church. The average Christian measures the quality of their life no differently than the average American. The average Christian 
when they pray, they're praying for the same things that the American would want. They're concerned about the quality of their life. They're concerned about how much house they can get for their money. They're concerned with giving their children the best education that they can. They're concerned with things of this world. Jesus teaches us a lesson in the midst of teaching us that this world is perishing about the people who are the people of faith is that they are prayers. And listen, there are too many Christians who just assume that they'll find a good enough church, who just assume they will locate a good enough pastor. Do you know how badly you need the gospel? Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ, not just for the first time does faith come by hearing and hearing the word of Christ, but we keep our faith when we keep hearing the word of Christ. You know, badly your soul needs a pastor to preach the gospel so that you will keep on believing it. Can you measure the impact of years in a biblically healthy church? Where your soul is fed. It's hard to quantify. But you need a faithful shepherd. Are you waiting in prayer for him? Mary, Mary, quite contrary, how does your garden grow? I don't know if you know the background to that nursery rhyme. Mary is queen of Scots. Her garden is a cemetery filled with bodies. Mary, Mary, quite contrary. She's a contrary queen. She's contrary to the gospel and was killing ministers of the gospel. And she was filling her cemetery, growing it with the bodies of ministers of the gospel. And Mary, queen of Scots, was afraid of one thing, she said. Not of armies of other countries, but of John Knox and his prayers. John Knox cried out, Lord, give me Scotland or I'll die. Is that your prayer for Stephenville? Are there John Knox's here? I want to encourage you to measure the speed of God's answers with a heavenly gauge. Jesus says in verse 1, Pray always and do not lose heart. He says in verse 7, you should cry out to the Lord day and night and God will give you justice. How quickly will he give it? He says speedily. He will will not make you wait very long. But you need to measure the speed of his answers with a heavenly gauge. Because he just said you're going to have to pray all day and all night. And Jesus is wondering, will I find a soul who is still waiting? Or will they all have lost heart and lost their faith that he hears? When you are encouraging your heart to keep on praying, when he has not yet answered, Jesus is telling us that God does not measure speed the way that you and I do. Heaven's gauges are catching all that the Lord is accomplishing through our prayers. 
And he's doing a lot more than just giving us what we ask for. When we turn away from knocking on the door and asking him, it's because our faith is fainting and impatient prayer totally misses the point of prayer. The point of prayer is not that God would say amen to you. The point of you praying and me praying is that we would say hallelujah to God. If you're only waiting for God's amen, you've totally missed the point of prayer. He is building up an hallelujah so that delays are not denials. His delayed yes is not a denial that he will say yes. Delays are tools that God is actually using to build what prayer is supposed to build. He's building your trust because he loves to be trusted. He's building your satisfaction when the yes finally drops. He's building up glory for himself as, he, as people see. He just keeps praying for this. Every Wednesday night he comes and he just keeps praying for this. Why doesn't he give up? He still trusts the Lord. And then when he answers, persistence demonstrates that trust is not dead. Perseverance in repenting from your doubting God. It won't, I won't doubt him just because he hasn't said yes yet. It's fighting back thoughts that he's just like the unjust judge. Verse 8, listen, the Son of God is going to sort the whole world out by prayer life. That's how he's sorting the world out. Prayers, non-prayers. Faith, lost. And those who he finds faith in will be those who are still knocking. Third, lastly, and then I'm done. Let me encourage you to always ask with trust. I'm trying to make the connection for you between the Lord's love to be trusted and the Lord's love to be asked and this connection i want to strengthen from this parable that you should always ask with trust that in other words when you are asking that your asks are full of trust or to use the words of jesus full of heart this is something that when i'm praying i'm often stopping in the middle of my prayer and saying, Lord, give me heart. Because I'm so regularly turning to other things. What do I have to do? Thinking of other things. Leading the church in prayer on Wednesday nights. So easy to check out and think about something else. Holy Spirit, teach me to pray. And fill me with heart. Not just persistence, not just that I keep asking, but heartened persistence. Our prayers should always be filled with heart, this conviction that God can be trusted with this longing, this longing. Pray always out of a heart that is filled with trust. We will not persist unless we are confident we will prevail. You won't persist unless you are confident that you will prevail in prayer. And I want to give you heart 
to pray from this passage. I want to build your trust in prayer. And I want to build your trust while praying. I want you to have a higher trust in the act of prayer. And I want you to have a greater concentration of trust in the midst of your praying. And to give you heart, I want to give you two who's and one what's. All from verses 7 and 8. Verse 7, think of who you're praying to. Think of who you're praying to and take heart. He is not the hater judge. Believe his word. He is steadfast in love. He is full of grace. He is full of mercy. He has transferred us out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son. If he did not spare his own son, will he not with him also give us all good things? Remember who you're praying to. The second who that I want you to be encouraged to have heart in your prayers is coming also from verse 7. And that is not who you're praying to, but who you are as you are praying if you are in Christ. Jesus calls you the elect, the, the chosen people of God. You are a child of God. You have your father's ear by the son's blood. He will not turn away those who come in the name of the son because he will not turn the son away. Who is praying should give you full heart to ask him with heart. Be totally confident that God is listening and that he will answer your prayers because of who you are to him. If you are in Christ, you are his chosen. And he does say elsewhere, even about Israel and throughout the book of Ezekiel, even about Israel, not about Egypt, not about Babylon. I'm not going to even listen to Israel, my people, any longer. But then he says in the book of Ezekiel, I will give them a new spirit and I will give them a new shepherd. And then they can ask me because then I will hear them. And Jesus has opened up the way into the Holy of Holies. By his blood, all of our sins are covered. We are to go boldly into his presence if we are going in his name. Take heart because of who is praying. But then thirdly, you should always ask with trust because of what you're praying for. If you're praying for justice. That's what he says. If you're praying for justice, if you're praying for righteousness, if you're praying for what he considers right, if you are praying for what he considers good, he's going to give you that speedily. Now, Paul had a thorn. And he didn't need to always ask. Three times was enough for Paul and the thorn. Friends, there are some things that you don't need to keep asking for. Because Paul realized after the third prayer about his thorn that if the Lord were to remove it, then Paul would cease to experience the sufficient grace of the Lord upon him. And the Lord is all about being trusted. And, 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 and if he answered that prayer about the thorn in the flesh, it would actually keep 
Paul from doing what God gives us prayer to do, which is to grow in trust of the Lord. And so he's not going to answer any prayers that you pray that will actually keep you from trusting in him. So there are physical things of this life that you may be asking for and he withholds from you because he doesn't want you to lose what he wants to find in you. He wants you to trust him and not live for the things of this world. And so there are some things that you should not be always asking for. But if what you're praying for is justice, well, that's the sort of thing you should keep on praying till you have it or you die. If a promise is behind your prayer, you keep on praying until you prevail. Not a promise you privately heard, but a promise he has publicly spoken in his word. Promises, the promises of God, he has worked it out this way, they prevail and come to pass through prayer. The fulfillment of God's promises is conditioned upon, he's going to raise up people to ask for it because they have hearts that are united to his heart and want what he promises. And so they ask for it in prayer. So never lose any trust. In your heart, if you're praying for what God has promised, and He wills that your soul be cared for by the gospel, He wills that you have faithful under-shepherds who are like the Lord Jesus. This is a prayer that you can always ask for until it's yours. If there is a promise behind your prayer, you persist until you prevail. The Lord loves to be trusted. And therefore, he loves to be asked. And the Lord loves to answer whoever loves to ask. Let's pray together. Lord, we we ask you to do far more than I could accomplish for this congregation. Any man who would step behind this pulpit could accomplish for this congregation. We pray what only you can accomplish. We are trusting your good character for this. And we are, we are repenting of our suspicion that you won't do this. Would you give faith that stays for each one here? So that when the Son of Man returns... He will find each one here with faith because they have become men and women who pray. Lord, we ask that you would cause them to experience what John Newton sang about. Come, my soul, thy suit prepare. Jesus loves to answer prayer. He himself has bid thee pray. Therefore, He will not say thee nay. Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such. None can ever ask too much. Lord Jesus. Your grace and power are so great. That we are asking you to accomplish all your good purposes for this people. And we pray this in your name. Amen.